I have two. Um, oh, it's a small thing I forgot to mention. The, for the people at the back of the hall, okay. the, the voice, but we, is, is the microphone on? Yeah. I have um, two inquiries, hopefully they're, they're quick. Um, I have been, I haven't had dreams in like five months, and today, after I got over the exhaustion, yesterday's exhaustion, today I have so many dreams, so many daydreams, and when I was sleeping I had so many dreams, and I haven't had them so long, I'm getting easily fascinated by them. Yes, right. And, and I'm so involved in them, and the three minutes that I remember to check in with my breath, I notice that I'm, my meditation quality is much better too, but then I spend 44 out of the 45 minutes in daydreams. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember which um, was said yesterday about how to go. Uh, um, uh, um, in terms of the uh, night hours, firstly, uh, a number of dreams are arising at that time, and it's the first time for a few months, is it, that you recall? Just with that aspect, for a, a moment, the, uh, in the course of the day, through uh, the awarenesses, the mindfulnesses uh, that take place, further relaxation, uh, sometimes, and quite often, there's quite a lot of uh, stored pictures, images, etc., etc., uh, in our being. We go to sleep at night, we relax, and there can be, and plenty of people report this, uh, quite a lot of releasing of images and uh, dream world uh, can be quite strong in, in the night uh, hours there. Uh, similarly, during uh, the day, Despite the frequency of the reminders about being present, being clear, not being lost in the dreams, that, uh, as you say, some uh, times one can spend 44 out of 45 minutes. So, uh, and for some, if it was uh, uh, only that, it would be a considerable achievement. Uh, uh, so, uh, again, despite the initial intention, this case, to be with the breath or to be with the body. Dream life, daydream life in this case, can be strong. What's your sense with it at the present time? Uh, is it just a little bit more determination and right effort is required? Uh, is there a regular kind of theme in any way uh, running through the daydreams or are they rather random? What, would we, um, what do you say? The only notice that I've taken is Can that, you hear at the back? Um, sometimes they're nonsensical and then sometimes they're remarkably or notably um, violent or angry and I can relate that to something, yeah. I guess. Sure, all right. So um, in situations where you're giving attention to the meditation and, and uh, practice, uh, there's a generality called the dream image or the fantasy or the storyline that's uh, going through and as you uh, picked up quickly which is important it recognized that one of the features in it is some thread of um, uh, negativity and then the, the tendency of the negativity is there and then it's um, uh, affecting and, and influencing some picture and some uh, uh, some story again very very uh, common enough uh, here so the two, 
forms the, the story the storyline that is negativity with pictures and incidences maybe from past it may be from future or maybe from uh, from the from the present at the moment seem anything more seem seems important other than just be clearly aware that that is affecting your inner life uh, at the present time does it seem like anything more need to be done or said or approached other than uh, this is occurring uh, in the meditations. Negativity, sometimes in the night dreams as well as the daydreams, can become quite uh, intensified, quite strong, quite, uh, quite uh, violent. And that just shows obviously some intensification of the negativity about a situation or a person or a place or a circumstance or whatever. Do you think it's necessary to take it any further or just to be clearly uh, aware of that and ensure that you're not feeding it? Well, I, I think that it's going to show up. I think that this thread is going to show up more and more. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm afraid of doing is getting so lost in the process of daydreaming that I'm not creating space no, for right. the thread. And because um, I saw exhaustion was very much a distraction for me yesterday. Yeah. And um, and I, I see the daydreaming is coming up for me today. And, yeah. And I, and I don't know how to create space. No. No. The points are uh, uh, important, and quite often when there is some exhaustion, emotional, mental, etc., physical, uh, as well, there is also. Um, kind of vulnerability that goes with exhaustion and we've probably have observed ourselves that when we're feeling very tired and somebody only has to say the wrong thing to us and how we just flare up and react uh, there. So sometimes out of exhaustion when energy is beginning to come back in it does expose uh, the negativity or the tendency uh, whatever it might be. It might be useful as a practical step and Shada referred to it last night in her talk of um, keeping the eyes uh, open more, less likelihood of getting lost in the, the daydream uh, world, and um, bringing to bear as much mindfulness and awareness as possible uh, to the situation. Um, and some recognition as well, particularly if the uh, negativity is strong, that how much Whatever the situation may be, it is in fact affecting you. You're the one who's burning. You're, and, and negativity is a and violent images inside are a painful thing to deal with, and therefore un, uh, unsatisfactory at every level. And it may be that some strong, firm questioning may need to come from you. What is an, an other way? of looking at this situation. So maximum care and attention to the here and now, maximum care and attention to the meditations, uh, keeping the eyes open, plenty of strong resolve not to get lost in the daydreams, and uh, possibly, if it feels necessary and appropriate, to ask oneself, what, uh, what is another way or other ways of looking at this situation without the charge of the negativity. Neither healthy nor helpful for you, nor for the circumstance or whatever. 
even though the mind will keep justifying the negativity. And the mind is imprisoned to it in those circumstances and, and therefore to find other way of looking at something. Yeah, the, the images seemed pretty appalling uh, sometimes and, and it was really hard not to like, oh, get that away. Yes. Yeah. But the pushing away and um, in that, yeah, just it, like many things, we, we push, 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 and it just springs back, and 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 therefore it's the as much as possible. It isn't easy. The calm, and clear awareness as uh, possible, acknowledging the, the storyline, the justification that goes through it, and just see through the process of the practice whether it can clear. If it feels like it isn't, and it feels like it's getting more intense, then clearly you just come and find one of the three of us and we'll look at it much more specifically. Thank you. Yes. I'm probably going to shoot myself for asking this question. Um, I was wondering if we could look into, uh, maybe inquire into awareness and true self-nature. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, is awareness the same as true self-nature? Is it the same thing? You're going to shoot yourself, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I can leave now. <laughs> we just erased the tape. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a little uh, uh, expansion for you on what you refer to as awareness and what you refer to as true self-nature. Tell me what, when you use these two words, two, three, four, um, tell me a little bit about what's the response, what is awareness for you? Um, awareness is what we're cultivating through meditation. Mm -hmm. Being able to see clearly, yeah. um, feel directly, yeah. emotions and physical, yeah. um, perceiving thoughts, seeing thoughts. Yeah. All right. So awareness is that which uh, helps to reveal feelings. Thoughts, moods, states of mind, sight, sound, smells, taste, touch, light. Awareness reveals. It's the light which reveals. All right. And then, what's this? True self nature. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I guess I would liken it to whatever the ultimate state of enlightenment is, whatever that is. I, mean, oh, I see. Right. I'm not sure. I mean, no. that's. No. When I'm trying right. Um, um, so the answer to the question is no. And with, with um, awareness uh, there, what makes, I'll ask, I'll ask a little bit and then we'll see where it leads. Um, what makes awareness uh, significant? You mentioned this awareness, mindfulness, much the same meaning here. Significance of uh, awareness. Why is this emphasis and this body of teachings uh, 
generated so much other. Sometimes religions will put faith, say, at the center of things, and to some degree, we might say, awareness. So significant, so relevant, so important about awareness, living with awareness. It seems without it, you'd never be liberated because it shows you where you're caught. All right. So make it more personal. Without it, I would not be liberated. I'd be neurotic. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. Whatever you you like to describe. (laughs) So... Awareness keeps making things clear, and it makes things clear uh, within us of whatever, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so uh, to speak. And all of that stands out. Um, uh, Shada spoke yesterday uh, evening um, about uh, the hindrances, difficult states of mind, and what makes those states of mind stand out sometimes abundantly clearly is awareness. It makes one very much aware uh, all of the, of all, all of that, and from that awareness, hopefully, we gain some insight and understanding, so that we're less bothered or troubled uh, by that. But when you hear, um, it's not language I use too much myself, but anyway, true self nature. Where, where have you picked up these three words together from? Probably just reading and lectures. And mm, pity. <laughs> right, so sometimes we, we, we hear and uh, read the, this. Uh, suppo- supposing you, you, you dropped those th- uh, three words, then wh- where are you left? True self nature. Could be very confusing because you could keep thinking, is this it or is that it? Or is awareness it or something else it? Etc. Mind could be pushed and pulled around uh, quite a lot. And then after a period of time, the true would get a capital T, the S would get a capital S, and the N, then all get capital letters, and you're really in trouble. <laughs> so, so, is there any use in carrying these extra? No. Comes, cut, no. I'm, only, I'm asking, I'm not yeah. trying to infer. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because I think now it would be something the mind would be attached to. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's terribly easy to set up some kind of uh, language I- idea and make, and make a, a huge uh, gap. Yet, as the Buddha wisely and rightly pointed out, um, never to be satisfied with anything less than the best, quote-unquote. And it would be to shortchange ourselves, in fact, if we just settled for uh, awareness. So say a little bit about your day and your uh, uh, awareness today. What's anything standing out for you during today? Well, it's, it's very easy being here. It never used to be. It used ah. to be very difficult, but... Over the years, it's gotten to be very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, just e- e- easy uh, aware or easy complacent? Easy aware. Oh, easy aware. Good. All right. Lovely. And what, what has, what, this um, may give a little uh, optimism and hope for the others, so, <laughs> or depress them. <laughs> um, 
What's made it easier? What, 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 over the time of period of participating in retreats, teachers and uh, teachings and all that goes with it, what's contributing, making it easier without any complacency? Well, I think it comes back to the question of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started, I was always pushing too hard. And, yeah. um, I was at Larry's retreat, and he was talking about choiceless awareness yes. and the ability to allow your awareness to to be less, I don't want to say less focused. I mean, it's focused, but it's not on a single object. Yeah, right. The important aspect uh, uh, of, the, of the teachings, and certainly as the days go by, as you well know, that we begin on a particular, i.e. the breath, and there is a gradual expansion out of our awareness because life includes focusing on particulars, and it includes, as Larry, one of the other teachers here, pointing out the great importance of an expanded awareness uh, in life. And so awareness can include a more focused, concentrated feature to the particular, or a more expansive expression, not focusing so much on the particular, all of this, this we'll talk about over, over the days, and therefore, of course, awareness having a, a key function, a key role, uh, key participation uh, in all, all of this. But other teachings just about really being a very aware through the day, through the retreat, either in its focused form or it's in its expansive form that you just referred to, is, is it just about that, even though we appreciate moments of awareness and successive moments of, awa- of awareness? Is it, would you say it's just about that? I'm not sure if I'm going to answer this correctly. It seems like there has to be some kind of um, deep letting go instead of trying to get somewhere and mm-hmm. trying to accomplish something allowing things to be as they are, right. and okay. that allows me to be able to relax into what's happening, good, bad, or indifferent. All right, lovely, okay. So, sometimes the, um, uh, in the way of the practice, it can be a little bit a reflection of uh, other circumstances like daily life, where we consistently get the message about striving, achieving, goal orientation, achieving our aims in life, and how easy we can bring that, that even though it has a usefulness at uh, times, to a situation here, and then it's striving and achieving to be one-pointed or to be focused or to be here and now, uh, etc. That may well, with more understanding, may uh, soften uh, itself, so there's less striving, less goal orientation, less achievement taking place. There isn't still... As you said earlier, there isn't any complacency uh, uh, taking place. The letting go. Is the letting go, which we had some exploration of this in our small group today, is the uh, letting go um, an act of will, or is letting go uh, a, a fruit of understanding? Definitely understanding. Two ways about it. <laughs> All right. So sometimes people come and say, oh, if only I could let go, whatever, let go of my negativity, let go of my confusion, let go of my tiredness, let go of my addictions, uh, etc. And for all this language of choice that we're obsessed with, 
when choice of being able to let go seems to be the one choice that we don't seem to have very easily. <laughs> the only one that counts. So it's there. So what is the, what is it that could, the relationship to awareness? Awareness is not the end in itself. If understanding contributes to letting go, and therefore it's not an act of willpower, what is this movement that's going on with us that from awareness to understanding? What makes understanding possible? Not an easy question. But. Um, I think it's the willingness to look at things, mm -hmm. uh, not judging, not pushing yes. away or yeah. holding on to it. Um, just letting it be, and then when it disappears, it goes. Yeah. But it's wisdom, I think, that whatever you yeah. want to describe wisdom yeah. as. Yeah. Wisdom, understanding, you know, obviously using here uh, interchangeably. So we bring more awareness to situations. We see the features and characteristics uh, of them. We stay uh, present uh, to them. We take a real interest in them. We investigate uh, into them, we listen to teachings uh, about them, and so those things which can harass us and oppress us begin to lose their grip uh, over us. And we begin to understand more, things seem to let go of themselves more easily. Things don't seem to be a problem in the way that they used to be. So there's something going on in the awareness which is, as it were, converting itself into some kind of uh, understanding, that we're not resting with the awareness, but seeing it as a vehicle towards more wisdom. How drop, uh, I'm not too keen on the word self in true self uh, 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 nature, so we'll drop out the middle bit there. What, what's the response when you say uh, um, true nature? What, what kind of response do you get from inside of yourself? Realize true nature, let us say, via awareness or via understanding. What's the response to realize our true nature, to realize the true nature of things, which teachings point to and undoubtedly point to? What's the inner response you get when you use the language of? <laughs> no, no, I can't rephrase it. Okay. <laughs> um, we say that bring awareness to situations, and awareness, hopefully, it's not just awareness, it's awareness that contributes to understanding. Understanding means that things, as it were, stand under us, meaning they're not a problem. True understanding takes the problems out of things. And in that interface, of things, into the interdynamic uh, of things. I've just kind of thrown in two words here, called true nature. What's the sense of true nature when you think of one's true nature? Freedom. Freedom. Oh, right. Yep, yep, I agree. So, awareness and understanding are intended, the essential purpose, is to reveal, in the awareness and understanding, freedom, complete freedom of being. And therefore, 
Awareness is not the end, as we said. Freedom, true nature, is not separate uh, from it. Yet all of that can stand out magnificently for us. Awareness, understanding, and true nature of things, which is free. Sort of on true nature. Yes, please. <laughs> I use it as, at times as sort of yes. a spontaneous metaphrase. You know, may you know the great joy of your own true nature. Yes, all right. We can leave, it, leave out the own right now. Yeah, all right, okay. Uh, um, <clears throat> so I sort of see it as different than if, if understanding mm -hmm. um, gives us insight or whatever the proper word yeah, is to yeah. like. Uh, anguish and the fact that things change mm -hmm. and the fact that it's not personal. Mm -hmm. um, I, I use true nature, sort of come to take it as sort of uh, heart. Mm. And I guess I take heart as, I don't know if these are the proper it's terms, the qualities of mind or mental yes. states mm -hmm. that maybe are the pleasant ones, but like uh, Loving kindness, compassion, yes. joy, and etc. And that's what I sort of sense when I, I see. sense right. true nature or heart. It's yeah. those qualities. I don't know if qualities mm -hmm. or mental states is the right word. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, experience and uh, description, uh, we can kind of rest uh, uh, anywhere. So, what, what I mean by that is that sometimes when we're lost in whatever, the greed, the negativity, the confusion, etc., we'll say to ourselves or say to each other, I seem to have got so far out of touch with myself. It seems so far removed. I seem so lost in, lost in things. And in a real way, we actually we, we, we do. And sometimes we don't realize how much we are lost in issues and things and events until we actually start stepping back until we have some silence and some stillness and we begin to wake up and realize how far away we have come from who we are in a deep, deeper sense. That, as you uh, wisely point out uh, there, that sometimes the inner response to coming back to ourselves is feeling the heart more and more deeply therefore feeling uh, more joy, more contentment, and uh, greater happiness, appreciation, gratitude, those deep qualities uh, of the hearts stand uh, before us, so to speak. We feel much more in touch with ourselves, much more at home with ourselves, etc. All of that is uh, a wonderful uh, place of, the, of abiding. It's a, sweet place, obviously, of abiding for uh, any human being. But, and it's a but with a big B on this one, that it would be taking it a step too far, in Dharma teaching now, to say that ultimately 
being in the heart, no matter how sweet and lovely it is, is the final resting place. One step too far. And, or not far enough actually, more precisely there. So what's your response? It is a pleasant place to be. You rest. bet it's pleasant, absolutely. Um. <laughs> so we sometimes we say, goodness, I'm, I guess to repeat myself a little bit, if you don't mind. We, we get so far removed, and the indicator to us that we are far removed is the unrest, the dissatisfaction, and the noticeable lack of real pleasantness in life, real <coughs> contentment, real inner, uh, inner, pe inner peace. So coming back to that, and therefore coming back to heart, and heartful living, heartful meditating, heartful walking, sitting, standing, etc., heartful listening, all, all of that genuinely does bring to us uh, a, sense, a genuine sense of deeper pleasantness, and more contentment, and heart life uh, richer, and therefore our life made richer. For, for that. However, still bringing in uh, question mark there whether that ultimately is the final resting place. Why not? Why not? Why don't we make that? Why don't we just say heart? <coughs> Go for it. Go, make heart the final resting place to live a, a heartful life, be steady in in one's heart sustaining the true riches of life in the heart. And, uh, I, I do use the phrase mm -hmm. frequently, and, um, but I'm not totally comfortable with it. I mean, I no. guess it, I've heard it from Tibetan or whatever sources. Or, um, What's the phrase? Um, own true nature. And oh, I see, yes, phrase. yes. The but, um, right. I, I would say... Uh, it hasn't yes, necessarily... I would say more non-clinging is a more open, oh, right. inclusive nice. place right. when I happen to run into it. You happen to run into it. <laughs> you be lucky. <laughs> All right. All right. So, a more open place and a non-clinging place. Uh, how do you relate that to matters of the heart? Just to keep in with the flow. Uh, Great emphasis is placed on non-clinging. True, great emphasis is placed on a truly uh, open situation. And as you said uh, twice now, despite uh, what our Tibetan brothers and sisters may say about own nature and self-nature, or in other <coughs> tra traditions, the self is so easily wants to claim ownership. So non-clinging, non-ownership, uh, more important. How does that relate to matters of the heart? Um, for me, sometimes mm -hmm. when I'm, I do uh, cling or grasp after, uh, at times, yes. wa wanting the these qualities that yes. come together and we call the heart. Yes. Um, important awareness, very, very important awareness. And you're asking more than that? Mm -hmm. um, at the moment. Okay. So, it's a, sometimes... You say, here's my life, or my inner life, or my mind, or my states of mind uh, going on. And then the memory arises and says, oh, I remember wherever, whenever, 
being so close to my heart, really feeling my heart, feeling the happiness of, of the heart, or we hear how important uh, that is. The Tibetan Dalai Lama has got this book for about six months now. I, think the, I can't remember what the title is called, but I do know it's in the New York Times list. What's it called? The Art of Happiness. There, 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 there. So there's the HH. That's what he calls it. <laughs> Dalai Lama, the rest of us. And there he has a book out, and The Art of Happiness, written by the Dalai Lama, who's you know, clearly a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, is it this weekend? 50,000, 500,000 or something? 50. 50,000 people are going to New York to, because they want to know why is he happy and I'm not, you know. <laughs> etc. So there's a, a real lot of interest, you know, and naturally enough, in, in happiness, you know, to, and, and the art of happiness and skillful ways and means there. But as you pointed out, as you pointed out, how quickly... Desire, wanting, clinging to the heart begins to set in. Of course, it disturbs the heart, it creates pressure uh, on, uh, on the heart. And just because we want to be as we're grounded and centered in our heart, to be uh, very wanting and pressure, can in fact contribute to the lack of opportunity for it. So, that awareness of clinging. Um, matters greatly, matters uh, great, greatly there. Still, no, nevertheless, as I mentioned um, a few moments ago, there's matters of the heart. We, of course, wish human beings to be in their heart, to be heartful and uh, happiness that comes uh, from it. We can't force it to happen. It is an art, as the Dalai Lama says. It's a skill, it's a practice uh, there. Yet, nevertheless, we might ask, Though we might wish to rest in our heart in a that deep way, we might ask, where does the heart find its rest? What's your response? Even we might spend the whole life, heartful life, for some very heartful and loving human beings on this earth, you know, with or without any practice, they're just beautiful, lovely, heartful human beings, but may have forgotten to ask an ultimate question, where does the heart find its rest? Everywhere, with even even with anguish, mm -hmm. even with the anguish and the troubled times and yes. the troubled, uh, the painful states. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, maybe if we're just on the heart and the pleasant focus, yes. sometimes we aren't able to hold. Yeah. Good the point. Anguish. Yeah. So very good point. I guess the the heart or whatever has to be able to hold everything. Yeah. Yeah, well, it can't. That it, much so, as we'd love the old heart to, and our heartful feelings to hold everything in, uh, in life, sometimes, as we see, some people, uh, look, some people in the hall are like this, uh, very heartfelt people, and yet at times feel exactly as you said, uh, terrible anguish, um, terrible heaviness in the heart, Sad, uh, sadnesses, uh, disappointments, um, confusion, and 
problems, because of the circumstances of others, not in a judgmental way, but, but due to the way the heart uh, actually, actually is. So sometimes we can't rely on our heart to be able to accommodate anything and everything. As much as we would like to, sometimes the heart can't cope. And people feel the, the difficulty of, of that when the heart feels overwhelmed with life, inwardly and, uh, and outwardly. So while expressing appreciation for uh, heartful living, nevertheless, from our experience, it has limitations, it, it has uh, abilities, and it has what it sometimes it can't deal with. And all sorts of circumstances. So when our heart can't hold up the world and all that goes with it in the way that you describe, then what? Awareness and compassion. Well, compassion's heart. Heart too. Awareness of what's there. Alright, so one awareness aspect of Awareness of the it. characteristics. Yeah. I'm not looking for a particular okay. answer, okay. just how your inner responses are. But sometimes the, with uh, awareness, of course it's in tune and in harmony with heartful living, happiness, contentment, love and compassion. And sometimes there, uh, there's the awareness in which uh, matters of the heart uh, need to be very equanimous, very, very steady, of course. And maybe that awareness can bring out of us some receptivity around those two important themes that you referred to. One is non-clinging, and uh, the other is uh, an openness. An openness, open enough to take and accommodate the heart and the world. So that we're not just living in the heart, beautiful as it is. And therefore something about the nature of things and then is openness. Can we be as open as the nature of things? The nature of things is non-clinging, hence all this that goes on, and can we be in accordance with that and really realize what that is? Thank you. <laughs> can you translate? J'aime celui qui rêve l'impossible. I love he or she dreams the impossible. Good. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, last night in Sharda's talk, she mentioned something about um, changing one's environment, mm. uh, changing one's environment or changing one's circumstances uh, to <coughs> diminish suffering and to bring about happiness. At least mm -hmm, yes, that's yep. my interpretation of sure. what she said. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that, and without getting too specific, mm. just to say that I'm not happy in my life right now where I'm living. There are some questions, there are some doubts about where I'm living and how mm. I'm living my life. Um, and yet, I've always had this, perhaps, tape running through my head that instead of running away from and running towards something else, one should stay and somehow find, it's, it's, 
it's a myth, you know, all the teachings say it's a myth to think that if you're not happy here, it's going to be better over there in that job, in that city, in that environment. Not, not all the teachings. Huh? Not, not all of the teachings say that. <laughs> not these here, anyway. Okay, oh, well... On, carry on, carry on. Well, <coughs> so I'm not sure exactly the question. The question somehow... The question has to do with how does one know, short of, oh, trust your intuition, how does one know when it's really time to shift one's environment no. radically or shift one's circumstances? All right. So, we're curious, where are you living? New York City. <laughs> and what, what is it that's um, not so satisfactory about, dare I ask? My extravagant rent, my... <laughs> how, much, how much rent do you pay? <laughs> you know, you do this every year, but this is the first time I'm up on a cushion. <laughs> um, Right now, it's just gone up to eleven hundred dollars a month. Mm, yeah, it's expensive. Mm, so yeah, and I teach yoga part time. I teach English part time. I do whatever else is necessary to yes. scramble around the other rent. I'm I'm like a little guinea pig, and it's yeah. ludicrous. Mm. And what happened is that I spent a month teaching yoga and creative writing at Omega. Oh, did you? And mm. that shifted a lot for me. That oh, made nice. me. I haven't had time to process it all, but mm. it's really made me think about community and how yeah. isolated I feel in New York and mm. what's important and priorities and all of that. Mm. Right, right. So, in, so sometimes there is the, the contrast. Rural situation, upstate New York, or Omega, um, life in the city, community versus a more uh, solitary uh, life. Uh, etc. In the movement of the mind, just for the moment, between um, one and uh, the other, is it um, a little bit of the reverberation from having been at Amiga to teach this summer? Certainly. But I mean, I mean sometimes quite a lot of those, we go away, we come back, a lot of those thoughts do arise, uh, they can be somewhat distracting, but one finds oneself just settling back into the original flow, which is living in New York with the rent and whatever else. So how strong backwards and forwards between one way of living, one environment and another is the movement? Understand? You could, no. be, just, you could just be having some nice sweet thoughts about how nice it would be to be in a rural situation or to be in community but it isn't going to make that much difference. There are just some thoughts still arising. Or what's the level of determination like? It's quite often, I've noticed over the years, it seems to be easier for people to move into a city. And a lot are harder to get out once one is in. That's my general observation. Is that a challenge? <laughs> no. Um yeah, that's my question to myself, which is how strong the determination is. Right now, I, right now I don't know how strong it is. Right no. now it's thoughts. All right, so the thoughts uh, arising. Within the context of the city itself, there, there are people in the Dharma, of course, and uh, New York has the 
Tibetan meditation uh, network, plenty of teachers uh, uh, teaching at facilities like Open Center in uh, Soho, uh, etc. I go there myself and see from the program how many friends are, are there. So it would seem to me that in the city itself there are a range of resources throughout the year. So does it have to be as isolating as you portray? But, but really, I mean, suffice it to say that when I'm in the city, I have a weekly sangha and I go yeah. to umpteen open center right. and New Good. York Insight things. Right. Perhaps that's not enough. I and still, how long have you been in New York? Well, I grew yeah. up there and then I went away. And yeah. now I've been in my apartment for four years. All right. And it's one thing to step away from. One also has to be relatively clear about what you would consider stepping towards. It's easier to say, I'm not feeling whatever it is, satisfied living here, but to move away, one needs to know what one would be moving to. So, is the idea to relocate, or is the idea to uh, go on the road, go on the road again? What, what's the thinking? Definitely not to go on the road again. Not to go on the road again. You've exhausted that. All right. Okay. <laughs> At least not for now. No. So where would you go? Dare I say graduate school. Why would you want to go to graduate school? <laughs> <laughs> because... But, eh? <laughs> How, how's graduate school going to help you be a better yoga teacher? Because I don't want to be a yoga teacher for the rest of my life, or, or I, I have to say, I don't. What about I don't yoga in English. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it. No. I don't. I, I no. I feel embarrassed to say it. I don't. No, no, I don't have a passion to open up a yoga center. I don't have a passion to teach it 40 hours a week. I don't. No. I like doing it the part time that I do. Um, what would you go to? Graduate school. See, that's been a conundrum for the last four years, but it would. Good. <laughs> Maybe for forty. Why would you, why would you, what's graduate school going to do for you? What would you do? If you went to say somebody said, "Here's the, the check," and go to any graduate school, what, 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 where would you go? What would you study? Well, there are several things that really interest me. Mm. One is writing. Writing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another one is. Not specifically necessarily Buddhism, but mm. East-West philosophy and, and religion and psychology. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, if I may say, <laughs> as someone who finished school at the age of 15, never went to school after who firmly believes that one only time we stop learning is when we go to school. <laughs> <laughs> who has written eight books, all of which are successfully at the top of the least sellers list. <laughs> so I write and I teach and I do my thing. And they've even heard of graduate school. So I can't see the relationship. Why would you want to go to graduate school if you want to write about those things that you wish to write about, since you have lots of experience in the Dharma, lots of experience in yoga, 
working with the people, such as the Omega uh, Institute, been to India, etc. It's really that gives you tons of authority. Why? Well, maybe that's just it. In my mind, I don't believe I have any authority. Maybe that's it. All right, all right. That's a different ball game. And and and. Uh, and I don't necessarily think that's just a question of, of self-esteem or something. I, no. For instance, I just traveled for the first time in five years abroad, and I met a Canadian young man, 22, who was yes. just about to go to graduate school in philosophy. And I was amazed at how he had just graduated from college yes. in philosophy. And I was amazed, in my mind, how fluid and how bright and stimulated his mind was, and, and I'd, I wanted that, and I guess that's running after a desire. I wanted to be filled, it, fe it seems, it feels to me like I'm, I haven't gone deep enough into any area of study, and but, I wanted but to. his bright mind, this is, let me get it clear, the bright mind that you witnessed in this young man was before he went to graduate school. <laughs> <laughs> Writing comes with writing. Teaching comes with teaching, yoga or, 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 or whatever. Well, then let me just ask you go this. Go on, please. Yes, go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, yeah. I've seen you for umpteen years telling people graduate school, feh, feh, feh. But do you really, really completely believe that there's no use whatsoever in going more deeply and more disciplinedly into a field of study? For understanding? <laughs> That's your big word. <laughs> Repeat the question. <laughs> is there, in your opinion, Christopher, is there no validity toward further study in mm. the effort towards deeper understanding of a subject or a field? Uh, that would be it. Um, um, harsh, I'm tempted, but it would be harsh to, to the, there's uh, uh, no, no use. But one has to remember with these, these things a little bit, particularly in the United States, the back-to-school mantra is so pervasive uh, here. One hears it more than any other country that I, that I, I, go, I go to. And certainly... There's the, there's the potential for all, all of that. But I think the risk is very, very high. And the, the, the risk of, uh, of an understanding, um, flowering and emerging, uh, which is uh, free and natural and organic and not programmed, is, is not easy with, with graduate school. That's my observation of people. Sorry, the risk? What's the, the risk? risk? The risk is that um, it's a clone-like existence. The risk is that this system that we have around the world these days, but obviously in the West, exceptionally high, of putting people through school, programming them, conditioning them, and churning them out left, right, and left, right, and centre with all these letters before and after their name, uh, 
I think the whole system really needs a lot of real deep questioning. Teachers and lecturers have plenty of questions, thoughtful students have uh, plenty of questions about this, and I know it upsets people every time mentioned on, on, on these things. But I think a better quality of person is more likely to emerge out of the Dharma and out of practices than out of those systems. I don't think they pay respect to the whole person. And, uh, and, and in some particular areas, like the ones that you specifically mentioned there, of a deep philosophy of life, a deep understanding of the psychology of life, a deep appreciation of life of the body, which, as you express there, I love the posture, etc., etc. One's not going to find much of that. And even the greatest philosopher of the century, Wittgenstein, had one consistent advice to his students, if one wants to live a philosophy of life, do not go to university. So I, I think Mr. Wittgenstein is well worth listening to, even if you take no notice of me. However, who am I to persuade you not to go to, to graduate school? You ask my opinion, or you get it loud and clear. So some areas and some fields, of course, it, it, it's absolutely vital. It's absolutely vital. Uh, um, schooling and a kind of work and training that people need to learn, need to give. It's the only resource that is available for people. But even for such people, still there is living, still there is ethics, still there is awareness, still there is depth of meditation, still there is wisdom and understanding. And that may not emerge um, um, out of the schooling system that we have. I think, in fact, I, I, think, I think it shows it doesn't. If it did, our society would be considerably more wise, caring and compassionate to all people and environments than it is. So I think one has to tread very carefully uh, uh, in those areas. And if you do, you'll, you could still feel terrible isolation, you could still feel terrible lack of community, and you could still be having doubts about what am I doing this for. Going to graduate school won't protect you from that. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So uh, it, it can be... Uh, Sometimes in, in a, a wrestling match, I agree. There. But since you've asked my opinion, I have the freedom to give it. <laughs> so, anyway, what's your response? Yes, you certainly do. Yes, no, you ask, I tell them. My response is one last question. Please do. Go well, on it, it just reverts in a cycle back to the first question. Yeah. Do you have anything to leave me or us with about... Um, if we were to just say goodbye right now, I would yeah. go back to my cushion, forget the graduate school thing, uh, but yeah. thinking there's no way out of the city, like not a good idea to ever leave the city mm. once you're in the city. Oh, Do I see, have, yeah. What uh, are your responses? Or, or um, uh, kind of basic line uh, response it, uh, is one must have freedom in all directions, to quote the Buddha. And therefore, plenty of people live in the city and, and feel the freedom of uh, living in the city and live in the city, live it and live the vitality of it and the vibrancy and the connection uh, with it how easy the complaining dissatisfied mind becomes the habit and then people feed each other the habit of complaining about living in the city 
and then there's the romanticizing of life outside the city or, 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 or whatever. And equally, having the freedom to take risks and to, to move on. So I don't personally think it's a matter whether you stay or whether you go. I don't think there's one is more preferable than the other. Yeah, uh, I, think it's, I do think it's the inner freedom which matters. And, and there's much, obviously, in city life which is to be appreciated, acknowledged and discovered. But don't let a word come out of one's mouth of complaining. believe everything that our mind tells us about a city. So keep heart and mind and awareness open to uh, living in the city. It keeps the energy alive and the vitality uh, alive and, and the freedom to alive as well. And so that might be community, might be graduate school and it might be uh, living in New York City and inner life is free, heart is free, we'll say, well, what's the difference? Well, it's just living. And the, the living is that, is that which counts. Enough? Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs> so we'll have a quiet minute to finish together, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.